Hello and welcome again to another edition of the Driving You Crazy podcast. It's the best transportation podcast on the internet. That according to you and me. Uh, and that's all we really need to um, look for. We don't need independent verification of that. We claim it's the best, so therefore it is. Well, and who else is out there, man? We don't know. Exactly. Well, we do know. Nobody. Nobody. Nor do we Do we care if there's anybody else out there? No. We're should we have them on the show to, 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 to debate this? We should make a bracket for March Madness. <laughs> you mean a po- transportation podcast bracket? Absolutely. All right. That'd be work. Uh, that, that would be uh, that'd be well worth it. I am the traffic anchor for Denver 7 News. My name is Jason Luber. I am pedestrian advocate Joseph Peters, also new Apple Watch owner. Jason, I burn a lot of calories walking around this city. What? Is that? Is that what's that? That's your new Apple Watch? Isn't it fancy, man? I've never worn a watch before. But yeah, my wife and I got matching Apple Watches for Christmas. And I've learned over the past two days since what? purchasing it that I walk about 14 miles a day. Wait a minute. Christmas has not happened yet. It uh, It is still early December. That's the beauty of buying gifts for yourself is that Christmas lasts <laughs> all month long. You don't have to focus it on one day. Because you don't have children yet. You only have pets. Correct. So, therefore, you can buy for yourself early after the Black Friday deals or any kind of time. Because Amazon is, like, doing deals all the time. Right, right, right. right. Well, in the interest of being non-denominational, I wanted to get myself something for Hanukkah, something for Christmas, something for Kwanzaa, and something for the New Year. So, I really spread it out over the course of the whole month. What about Festivus? Do you know there is a Festivus party in Denver, right? Uh, There there is an airing of grievances. You email your grievances beforehand. You might even get to see them read on stage during the Festivus presentation. No way. That is a real thing, man. The Denver Beer Festivus. I'll get you a comp ticket. (laughs) (laughs) Perfect. There is a lot to get to today. All kinds of transportation news going on. And I would really like to talk about you getting your driver's license on the show. We we can do that a little bit later. We have to do it right now. We can do it a little bit later. Plenty to talk about. Yes, yeah, so, because I I definitely want to explore that subject. Um, but first, I want to I want to give you my two favorite stories of the week. So, in transportation story number one, forty year old Travis Howard from Southwest Florida, he was driving in Cape Coral. Cape Coral is actually uh, a lovely city. I've been there. Um, it's full of old people. I really like that because usually the old people when they're driving around, they're driving slowly, using their signals. They're actually really good drivers because they're just old and doing things the old way. I like that. Anyhow, uh, Travis rear-ended another vehicle while he was driving there in Cape Coral, and police came out and determined that Travis was drunk. How, you might ask? Deputies say Trav couldn't remember how the crash happened and handed officers a hotel key card when they asked him for his driver's license. He refused to take the breathalyzer test before failing several other roadside sobriety tests, so he was arrested for DUI. But while in the back of the deputy's car, Travis reportedly said, Uber, when we get to my room, can I go to bed? Mm. That was before he was informed he was actually going to jail and he was in the back of a police car, not in the back of an Uber. Yeah, he was so drunk he thought that police car was an uber too bad for him it wasn't and too bad that isn't where he was going he wasn't going back to his hotel room he was going to the stony lonesome we assume eventually he did make it back to his hotel room correct he went to the crossbar motel ah there we go that's what it is that's Ah. (laughs) a good old john m i worked with this guy old style broadcaster used to used to smoke like a chimney 
and he would have every one of those horrible old phrases that you would use, like the crossbar motel. All those kind of things. He would use them all the time. That's a great one. That, he, that one doesn't get used enough. Oh, man, yeah. So, yeah. There you go. There's your uh, good transportation story of uh, number one. All right, here's number two. Are you ready for number two? And sometimes a man's name can shape who that man will turn out to be, right? <laughs> I say this because I want to tell you about a guy in St. Augustine, Florida. He got into a scuffle at Jack's Barbecue. I've never been to Jack's Barbecue. I mean, it's got to be good, man. you got to trust you, you a guy would, named Jack on the grill. You would think so. I've been to St. Augustine a thousand times. So, anyway, this guy left the bar in his truck right down the A1A. And that's when a deputy tried to pull the man over. He decided not to pull over. He was going about 57 in a 30-mile-an-hour zone. He did eventually stop at the Circle K. And when the deputy was talking to him, he found out the man's name is Jason Beers. After failing sobriety test, blowing a .208 on the breathalyzer, Mr. Beers was arrested on a DUI charge. Mm. Beers getting drunk. He probably isn't a wine drinker, I would think. <laughs> Bourbon, yes. Beer, definitely, right? I mean, how could you not be a beer drinker when your last name is Beers? That's, that, that's kind of his destiny, don't you think? It's commitment to the act, for sure. Uh, I mean, you would think that the family would have changed the name at some point if they wanted to avoid that connotation. Maybe something a little more uh, palatable, like Jason Engineer, or something like that that he could live up to. Yeah. See, if you're if you're going to name your daughter Destiny, you're probably going to end up seeing her on a pole somewhere. Yes. Uh, and with the last name Beers, you're going to probably end up as an alcoholic, mm-hmm. right? Um, but you know that makes me think about. Those kind of DUIs, because the .08 is is the basic level for most states, I think, for DUI, .08. So this guy was well over two, maybe almost three times over the legal limit. That's an egregious DUI in, in my view. And I still think people who drive that egregiously drunk with BACs that high should have extra penalties put on top of them if they're going to drive that drunk. Well, and... You know, the thing with that is that the the more you drink, the lower your inhibitions are. So typically, the more you drink, I would say, the more likely you are to get behind the wheel of a vehicle because you stop thinking to yourself, oh, I probably shouldn't do that. Yeah. That's, right. I mean, that's not just one or two beers. If you're going no. out and having a beer or two with no. some buddies at dinner, that's one thing. You might get up to a point four. You might be buzzed enough where you're, you're probably not... Probably shouldn't drive, but most people get away with driving when they have a beer or two, right? Right. But when you have a, a BAC of point, almost three times the legal limit, point two, that's crazy drunk. Look, man, I mean, we've been over this. I've, I've told you I've had the DUI before, and it always makes me laugh when people don't really comprehend how BAC works. Like, you, every beer you drink is about .015. To get to point two, you got to drink like a lot of beers, like probably a 12-pack to yourself at least. And that's without factoring in the time factor and you getting some of that alcohol out of your system. Well, he's probably going in there. He's going to start it off with a shot and a beer yep, and then follow that up with another shot and beer and another shot. So you've already had probably five, maybe six drinks in the first hour. And then from that point, you just keep going and then you're you're – hammered have i ever told you the story that made me quit bartending forever no so this guy comes in and when i when i lived in new hampshire we used to play this game called alcoholic or stupid 
right? Because people would come in and they'd, they'd be a little off their A game. You know, the fastball is not really there. They're throwing <laughs> a lot of junk. And uh, you couldn't really tell if they were drunk or like a little buzzed or just stupid. Uh, and so this one guy comes up to my bar. It's lunchtime. Sits down. Off his A game, right? And he orders a shot and a beer. And I said, okay, whatever. Not that big of a deal. Drunk or stupid, I can still serve you one or two drinks. So he gets two shots and a beer. And he eats his lunch and whatever. And he goes to leave. I'm away from the bar. He fell through our front door, stumbled into the front door, fell through it, and landed on a very nice old man and his family who was kind of cool about it. But the guy kept walking to his car, and the old man was like, absolutely not. There is no way we're going to let you get behind the wheel. So eventually we call police. Police come. He had been drinking like vodka out of a styrofoam cup for hours, hours wow. before he came into the bar. So when he, they, he finally blew a breathalyzer test, he was well above a .08. Um, it's just really hard sometimes with certain groups of people to read how much they've had to drink unless you have the tool at your disposal like a breathalyzer to really pop them for it. It's just hard. I've seen those breathalyzers available now um, online. You can get them where you can get them standalone, where you could just blow into it and it'll tell you your BAC. You can right. get them that will hook up to your phone. And then there's an app for that where you blow into this machine. It goes into the app and it tells you how drunk you are. I mean, it gives you all the levels of impairment and, and all those. And then it will give you options to give to get a ride somewhere else. Yep. So there are ways to get around it. Oh, absolutely. But even that, drunks are going to drunk, right? There was a breathalyzer at one of the bars that I used to go to in North Carolina, and we just spend the dollar to blow into it and see how drunk we were and then just try to beat our <laughs> score an hour later. So, uh, Well, there's that. <laughs> drunk's going to drunk, man. I did want to talk about the whole French uh, revolution that's going on over there in Paris. As the French government this week, they suspended their plan to introduce their carbon-based gas tax after about three weeks of violent protests there, especially through Paris. Now, the suspension, as I understand it, is only going to be in place for about six months, and I think it's a move the government will hope that will cool down the protesters for now before trying to implement this tax again or at least coming back with some form of it at maybe even a lower rate. Now, the tax was going to be placed on gasoline and diesel, regular fossil fuels, as they say, with all that money going to programs to fund alternative energy. And President Macron had repeatedly vowed not to give in to the street rule, the, all, the, all the people that were protesting and, and throwing things at police and lighting stuff on fire, but has been forced to reconsider after some of the worst violence that Paris has seen in the last 50 years. Now, gas prices there in France... With this new, I guess you could call it a climate change tax or a carbon-based tax, however you want to call it, it was supposed to rise about to $7 a gallon. What was the tax? Do you know the percentage on the tax for this? I do not know the okay. percentage on the tax. Uh, if that tax was implemented here, I believe we might not have similar protests in, in the form of people burning uh, couches on the street. Maybe. I was going to say the hell we wouldn't. I, I know we're going to have huge protests. <laughs> But I wonder if it would get to that level. They, they are classic good protesters out there in Europe. The, they do it as a religion almost. Um, and, and, and a lot of those cities, they see protests all the time where they're throwing, uh, or, you know, throwing rocks and, and burning all kinds of crazy stuff. Well, anyway, I, I, I really think that kind of a tax would have devastating effects on our economy here in so many ways. I, I believe that sometime in the future there will be 
efficient, low-cost, cleaner, renewable forms of energy. But that time is not now. I, I don't know when that will be. It could be in the next 30 years mm-hmm. that I have on this earth that I might see it. Could be in the next 75 years. Uh, it's going to happen, and when it does, it would be best to use it when the when the benefits the economy as well as the environment and will not adversely affect the people who can least afford that kind of a tax increase. Well, I mean, there's the argument— Which is everybody. I, yes and no. The argument would be that the people who can least afford that sort of tax increase also aren't going to pay it because they can't afford cars either. They're stuck with public transportation, Right. Not I mean, everybody that is poor has public transportation. But, I mean, so either way, the, the tax is going to be about $0.14 cents for a gallon of gasoline. So imagine if they tried to do that here where gas is, it has been pretty stable at, what, two fifty a gallon? Yeah. So around. now add $0.14 cents on top of that for every gallon. That adds up to like about $1.40 a fill-up. And once you start multiplying that over the course of a year, that does add up quick, man. There's no way around that. I think they could have smoothed it a little bit better. Like, if you increase it one cent per year and just sort of gradually crank that lever to the right, you'll get your same goal eventually over time. I don't understand why they try, didn't try to do it that way and instead tried to jam the whole thing down people's throats all at once, but Macron. <laughs> well, it's because they, they believe that the climate change deal has to be dealt with right this second. And if they don't, then we're all in peril. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's the thinking on uh, on that. I. I I think it takes about 15 years or so to clear out all the cars from what we're using now. So all all the new cars that we're buying now are going to be pretty much cleared out the next 15 years. So let's say we wanted to go all electric, have an all electric car economy. We would have to start selling. Let's say we start selling only electric cars in 2020, just to make the math simple. So by about 2035, most of the gas powered cars that are on the road right now would be phased out and you'd have the majority of cars at that point 15 years down the road as the electric cars but you'd have to start selling them now and everybody would have to buy them however i don't think we still have the infrastructure in place nor the willingness for the consumer to deal with that infrastructure right now maybe we would in 15 or 20 or 30 years but it's it's i uh, this is coming from a guy who owns an electric car and I'm thankful that I have the Volt, which they're not going to make anymore, which is sad, mm-hmm. because it, at least I have the generator in the car that will generate electricity, so I don't have to have that range anxiety. But I know so many people who have the pure electric cars, like one of our directors here, he drives down from Brighton, which is a pretty good haul, right. and if he doesn't charge it here at work, he won't make it home. That's range anxiety. That makes sense for him to have range anxiety. That's absurd. Yes. So when you have Teslas that will make it two or 300 miles maybe on a charge, maybe you don't have that anxiety every single day, but you still have to charge it every single day so you know you can make it home and back to work and, and vice versa. Well, but here's what's admirable, in my opinion, about what France tried to do, even though it wasn't successful in the end, is you have to apply it back to America. Part of the reason that we're seeing SUV sales and other large vehicle sales go through the roof is because gas prices have gotten cheaper. And it's more it's it's suddenly more palatable for you to have an SUV because you're spending less on gas every year. So you don't mind the fact the fuel economy isn't as good. Right. Whereas if the gas if gasoline was 15 cents more expensive a gallon, I guarantee you some of those people would be having second thoughts about purchasing an SUV over a smaller sedan that could still fit everybody. Right. 
And then on top of that, you figure that the difference in cost between a gas-powered vehicle and an electric vehicle is probably, at the bottom line, $15,000. Yeah, at least. Because my car, comparable, my car to the new one was basically a Chevy Cruze to the Volt. And the Cruze was at least fifteen, if not $18,000 less expensive. Right. And Americans, say what you want about Americans being stupid about debt. And like, I'm, I'm all for driving that bandwagon. I don't think people get it. But they are not willing to go $15,000 more into debt for basically the same car. Right. And it's basically the same car. Now, you do have less maintenance. Now, I have a maintenance story about my Volt that I had to deal with yesterday. Maybe I do deal with that ne- next week because I have a whole deal okay. that's going to go down with this thing. Uh, maybe I just tell it now. I don't know. Uh, anyway, I had a, so... All right, so this, here's the tangent. I went to go take my my wife has been complaining about the heat not working in the Volt. That's so, a problem. Yeah, so <laughs> that was a problem, especially since it's winter. So I took it to the dealership yesterday. They said, "All right, well, it's going to take. We, we're going to have to diagnose the problem first, and then we'll fix it. And I'll call you with with what's the problem." And I said, "Okay." She, he, and the guy said, "Well, it's going to be. We, we put a hundred and fifty dollar diagnosis charge first, and and that covers an hour's worth of work." And if you don't, if they don't, if they diagnose it earlier than that, then it's going to be less money. And if if they if it takes more than an hour to diagnose diagnose the problem, then then we're not going to charge you any more than one hundred and fifty dollars. Okay. I first of all thought that was a pretty high rate for one hour's worth of diagnostic work. It is. Uh, secondly, so then they so so the guy calls me and says, well, there's a pump that some auxiliary pump that that gets the coolant around the battery and it actually helps uh, heat the the uh, some deal and makes the makes the car hot. So that had to be fixed. And so he charged me for the pump was $300 and then the labor was an hour for labor. An hour for labor and then an hour to diagnose the problem. So we're at least at 2 hours worth of labor charges here. So the total price that I paid was about $700 for this repair on my Volt and that included an oil change. Now, typically, I only need an oil change once a year. Okay. Most of the t- the, the brakes are still great at fifty six thousand miles. Tires, I have new tires on there. I mean, everything else is working just fine because usually they don't have the same maintenance problems the electric cars, and this one's included as a regular gasoline car. Anyhow, so I check my dash cam. I have a dash cam. I check the dash cam, and from the time they pulled it from the parking lot to go in to get serviced. To the time they stopped the service and pulled it back around to park it just for the heating part, not the because I saw them pull it around for the uh, for for the oil change part, for just the heating part, an hour and fourteen minutes. Yet, I was charged for two hours of labor. I know they did not diagnose my problem because I watched them diagnose the problem for an hour. But yet I was still charged for the $150. Now, I'm going to sometime this week, maybe today, tomorrow, uh, go down back to the dealership and ask for the service manager and show him my timestamps of why was I charged for this much in labor and this much to diagnose a problem when the whole pair job cost or took an hour and 14 minutes. Maybe I should have some money back. Maybe I should call Contact 7. I'm genuinely surprised that you didn't just call them first, d- didn't refuse to pay it. I'm assuming they probably wouldn't Well, I didn't look at the back. dash cam until this morning. So that this is, howl happened last night, and I looked at the dash cam this morning. That is hysterically funny. Good for you for having the dash cam. Are we going to put the dealership on blast, or are we going to wait until next week when you when you? We'll see have to wait until after, so I'm going to have to see what happens here. This is borderline blackmail. If they don't pay up, 
their name will be exposed. Yes, and they will, and they all know I work at a television station, which is dumb. I'm surprised. I'm honestly just surprised they didn't turn off the dash cam, but they've probably never seen that before either. They probably, they probably. Well, you know what? One of the so the guy who was, and this is the interesting part. So I'm listening to the audio because it records audio as well. <laughs> So I can hear people talking when they get in the car. So this co- this kid, one of the porters who usually just drives around the cars, right? They they are they're learning to be a mechanic, but they're just for the most part driving around cars. So he gets in the car and he's on the phone with his girlfriend, and I can hear a little bit of the conversation of the girlfriend, and then he's cursing and saying some other stuff before he hangs up with her. Drives the car around the building to the uh, garage door where he's going to go into the shop. Honks the horn. Nobody comes for a second, honks the horn, and then he keeps repeatedly going from neutral to drive, because when he put it in neutral, the car would actually naturally roll backwards a little bit, because he was on a little bit of a downward hill. Mm -hmm. And then he put it into drive, so he'd go forward a little bit, and he's going back and forth giggling about something. And then eventually, somebody comes and opens the door, he pulls in the bay, opens the door, they always roll down the window. Always roll down the driver's side window, and that's great for me, because then I could hear everything going on. And then he says, it's got a thing. He's got a thing. And I believe he was referring to my dash cam. In other words, be on your best behavior because I didn't know it before, but now I see that he's got a dash cam. A thing. A thing. And uh, he's going to be recording everything we do when the the car is on. (laughs) And also, you only spent an hour and 14 minutes and charged me for two hours. Yeah. That's really the problem. That's a huge problem. That's hysterical. That is a huge problem. Huge. We need to, This is a contact seven, man. Of course it is. That's amazing. Of course it is. Now, or I call Tom Martino and or whatever the case. But but you know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna try to deal with it myself first. I'll go down to the dealership. This is why I hate dealing with dealerships. However, because I have such a specialized car that very say. few other places will work on, I have to go there. Right. Because they're like, oh yeah, we're going to charge you with one hundred and fifty dollars for a diagnosis charge, and if you if you don't want to do that, good luck. Yeah, have fun with that. Enjoy. It's yeah. not like I can go to Christian Brothers or I can go down to uh, uh, Meineke or or go down to Grease Monkey. I I, I only have certain choices in, in certain places that'll work on this car because it is such a special. They have one volt surface service technician at that dealership. One okay. at a dealership. Where they sell those vehicles. Well, that works for General Motors. He won't be there much longer, so don't you worry about that. He's had 15 years of service, and well, we'll see how many more years of service he's going to have after I visit the sales or the uh, general service manager and see what they have to say. But this might be a good time now to transition into your story about your driver's license saga. Now that you are. Going to be a licensed driver once again. Look, man, it's not a done deal that I'm going to be a licensed driver. Why so not? I don't want to, look, it's hard. Okay, it is. It is difficult. It is difficult to learn to drive after four years out from behind the wheel, especially when like I'm not going to class or anything. I'm just going to have to teach myself how to do it again. It is they like they do riding have the classes. Bike. You can go down to Master Drive. Where's Matt? Really? Yeah, Master Drive. I didn't know that was a thing. So, bottom line, my license in Vermont. Uh, by the time I finally got it, the suspension lifted for my DUI. Uh, it was expired, and so I had no valid license whatsoever. And when you don't have a valid license whatsoever, you get an instructional permit. And so I was the only twenty-nine-year-old. Go back. You you really you just can't. Couldn't have you gotten a license in Vermont again? No, because I had already gotten my ID card here oh. because I lived here for so long. So you have to get the instructional permit. And what I found out in Colorado is you can, all you have to do to get the instructional permit is pass a written test. 
get an 80 on the written test. Now, I got it's you got to get 20 out of 25 questions right. You can only get five wrong. I had five wrong by question 20, so I was like standing there sweating trying to make sure I could go on a winning streak for the last five questions <laughs> and not fail my instructional <laughs> permit test. But in Colorado, apparently you can get your instructional permit and the DMV I was at was right across the street from a driving school where you can t- take your driving test. So you can walk into the DMV, get your instructional permit, walk over to the driving test place, get your driving test done, walk back to the DMV, and get your license that same day. It's not like you were required to keep your instructional permit for a certain period of time. However, the first time I went back behind the wheel, it was clearly going to be an issue for me <laughs> to pass a driving test on the first try completely cold. Because Denver, I mean... Where we live at in Denver, right, it's a lot of tight streets, and so you got to hug the lines, basically, because you don't have a choice, because you're all packed in there like sardines. Well, try explaining to a new driver that you need to like really stay in your lane um, when they haven't been doing it for four years, and it's just tough, man. Like I, 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 w- I won't say I was in and out like over the white lines at all. I was just going real slow to make sure that I was staying in my lane. So in, in your scenario, you went and got your – instructional permit right yep then did you walk across the street to go get your i thought about it i I I thought about it and i chose not to because i was like this is this is not going to end well so now you've been practicing driving with your wife presumably she's been watching over you or you out by yourself there's not a ton of overlap I i am supposed to have her in the car with me so i've been trying to only practice when she's around uh but it's uh it's not fun you know what I mean? Because, like, my, my wife and I have a good relationship, you know, and I don't want to disappoint her in any way. But my driving, there's no other way to describe it but disappointing right now. And so <laughs> <laughs> it's hard to find the motivation to be like, oh, I need to go practice this thing that I'm really bad at and make sure my wife's watching me the whole time. Nobody wants that. Did you Have you tried getting on the interstates yet? Yes. I was on 6th Avenue at midnight. Thankfully, nobody else was around. Well, see, that's that's actually a good idea to go as late as possible. Therefore, there's very few people. Exactly. The The only other time I've driven in like the last five years, we were going down I-70 to Hanging Lake. And so it was just two hours by myself on 70, basically. And that was great. I wish all my driving experiences could be completely by myself with no cars around. <laughs> Unfortunately, that's not the case. So the driving school that I'm going to go to is out in Lakewood. And it's on Wadsworth, like down by a little, little bit past Alameda. So the roads are all beat up. Yep. They're all tight. And you have to go deal with them during a time when people are out driving because it's not like the driving school is open at midnight. You got to be there between eight and four a- four p.m. So I don't know what I'm going to do, man, because I'm terrified to take this driving test right now. So are they going to take you when you go to this driving test? Uh, do they have a track set up that is out of the area of uh, uh, other people, or do you actually have to get with an instructor and they drive with you on the roads? In that area, and then they say, all right, you're competent enough to, to now get a driver's no, that's license. definitely what it is, because that's why they make you get the instructional permit in the first place, is because they want you to get out on the roads and actually experience it, and they want your test to be in the same environment. So, yeah, <laughs> I'm going to be on the road with somebody, with a, like all of your best friends, as we know in Colorado. Um, when is this going down? A couple weeks. We're waiting until after the 11th, so probably two weeks from now. Uh I have it on good authority that the driving test, especially when you do it through a private place, is not that difficult. They're just going to take you around the block. Can you make some right turns? Yep. Can you make some left turns? Yep. Can you back into a parking spot? Yep. Good. They're going to go. make you parallel park? I don't think I'm going to have to parallel park. I think I'm going to have to back in park. If I have to parallel park, I'm not getting my license anytime soon. <laughs> <laughs> that is tricky. There are techniques to good parallel parking. Um, however, if if you don't make it, 
If you don't pass, what's the next step? You got to take it again, man. You got to do more practice and get back behind the wheel. What does this cost to go to this driving school? The thing? test is sixty dollars each time, and you could take it as many times as you need to. Is I, there a, is there a waiting period? A month? A I, week? A day? I want to say it's like twice in ninety days, and not twice in the same day. So you can go twice <laughs> within ninety days. You just can't do it like go at nine a.m. and then go back at noon if you fail at nine a.m. Um, no, my wife was my wife was like, oh, it's not that hard. I was like, you had a CDL. And she said, well... She did? She, she has did. a commercial driver's she license? She had a CDL for a very long time. She doesn't have it anymore, but she did when she was in college. And so I was like, of course it's not hard for you. You have a, you had a CDL. Like, you know how to drive. And then she said, well, my coworker's 15-year-old daughter just got her, her driving permit. I was like, she's been practicing for several weeks. What did you expect? <laughs> I've been behind the wheel once. It's a lot harder for me. So... Look, a lot of people want to say it's like riding a bike, and I guess it is. It's it's really all confidence-based. You know this. You've been driving long enough. Uh, but, man, five years away from behind the wheel, you really – we talk about losing your fastball. You you There's a lot of catching up to do when it's been that long. And I would think that your inclination is that you are going to be more of a defensive driver, more of a scared driver, and more of a driver to pull back – rather than go forward. And unfortunately, the way Denver driving is now, and not only just here, but really in a lot of the big cities around the country, is that you have to be more of an aggressive driver. At least you have to be able to show aggressive behaviors at times to survive this kind of a drive. And that comes with time. But, I mean, I'm certainly going to be on the defensive side of things for a while. I mean, I've been in too many crashes to not be. Like, I have just too many bad experiences behind the wheels. So, yeah, I, uh, I'm i going to play it safe for quite some time. But, that's, I mean, to be honest with you, that's one of the things that gives me so much anxiety about driving in Denver is every time we get on I-25 or I-70 downtown, it's wall-to-wall people. It's tough to get in. It's tough to change lanes. It's tough to match speeds. It's just <laughs> it's a lot of stress and when you're not used to it and not even used to driving at all to get thrown into that environment. No, man. Yeah. I'm good. It is a lot of stress. Um, And I drove, so we took my uh, girls down to see Christmas Carol on on stage uh, Thursday evening, last Thursday. And so we're driving downtown. We left, I left my place down in South Denver. It usually takes me about 25 minutes. When I come in in the morning, in the middle of the morning, there's no traffic. 25 minutes or so to get from there to here. I usually added a half an hour to get from there to here during the rush hour. That Thursday... I checked the traffic conditions, and it was basically what I thought it would be. Well, then there was a series of problems as I'm driving in, and so it made the drive about an hour and 15 minutes. And at that point, we were going to stop at that new Grimaldi's or Grinoldi's, that new pizza place downtown, Uh but we decided, all right, we're not going to have enough time for a sit-down restaurant, so we found this other pizza place on 11th. Denver Pizza actually was pretty good. Denver Pizza Company is great, But they don't have a table seating. They actually just have a, a counter that you walk up to, and they had a table outside that we were sitting out cold with my two girls and my wife and I uh, sitting having a huge slice. They have these big, huge. That's so funny, man. You uh, should have texted me. I, li- <laughs> I literally live a block from there. Do I would have let you sit in our building. Uh, perfect. <laughs> and it was uh, it was actually pretty good pizza. So anyway, we it was it was so congested. And, and I know a lot of the back ways and back roads and back ways to get around. But even those are now getting filled up because there is so much when you put a, a, a city – that is used to handling, especially, let's say, one road was used to hand. This is a, a good example down here on uh, Mississippi at, at Logan. They had a bunch of homes. Let's say there were 10, 25, 30 homes maybe or so on that block. 
just on either side of the street, 15 homes or so on either side of the street. Now they've they've torn down some homes and they've built up this apartment complex that will probably hold three or 400 people at least. But the infrastructure hasn't changed. Yep. So therefore, you're going to get a lot of congestion. You're going to have traffic all the time. You're going to have people. Some are going to be walking. Some will be doing uh, taking the bikes. But most of them are going to have cars. And that all those extra cars and those all those extra cars, that's exactly what's happened not only here but a lot of cities around the country. So we have so much more congestion into downtown now. It is really tough to get around. And I, I, I do feel that our mayor is doing that on purpose. However, however, there's always a however in life. When you're driving around and you're dealing with all of that, there's going to be guys like you who aren't going to feel comfortable being aggress- aggressive and holding back. That's going to slow down traffic even more. You're going to feel safe because you don't want to get into a crash, but it's going to add to some more of that congestion and the longer time it takes for people to get around. You know what I'm really going to be is I'm going to be that guy who's trying to pull out of like the King Supers and just creeps on out, looks both ways, doesn't really see an opening, lets everybody go creeps out a little bit more, sees an opening, isn't sure if there's enough space there for my car to fit in, so I let it go. And by then you got five cars behind me and I'm getting beeped at because I'm not willing to jump out in the intersection because I'm not sure how much space I have. That's going to be me as a driver. What kind of a left turn driver are you going to be? When you come up to an intersection, are you going to hang back at the at the crosswalk or are you going to go halfway and then make your left? We've been over this, man. People who park who stop on the crosswalk at lights are the worst kind of drivers. So no, I will be behind the white line. But are you going to wait there forward. but you're not going to creep forward and then make the left even halfway through the intersection? So I did learn a long time ago that you can go left on red if it's a one way to a one way in this city. So yes, I will be taking advantage of that rule as much as possible. But if I'm if I'm on the left lane and I'm looking at a two-way street, nope. I'll be behind the crosswalk. Thank you very much. All right, then. Well, I, I we do wish you all the best in passing this driver's test. I, I do hope that we get an update when you uh, go take your driver's test. All I'm test. saying, this car needs cameras when I take this driver's <laughs> test. We have some GoPros here that you could borrow, I'm sure. Not just the, I mean, the practice, too, I feel like there needs to be some GoPros on this. I it, could recommend ugly. a dash cam for you. Oh, good. <laughs> you Fantastic. can use that. And then you can uh, take down dealerships all around the city. Uh, we here at Denver 7, we started a campaign to show videos of porch pirates, speaking of, of home cameras. Yes, we did. Uh, we have these uh, videos from people. Usually it's their uh, doorbell camera. And these people who go out and steal packages after they're delivered, we put those videos on TV and online, and we're trying to, I guess, public shame these people. I, I don't. We're not the first station to do it. I've seen other stations around the country do it. But this is a notorious time of year for this crime to happen. Well, there's a town near Toronto in Canada that is going to start publishing the name of every person that is charged with impaired driving-related offenses in an effort, they say, to curb a distressing trend. Now, just in the last weekend, police in the town of York say 16 drivers were charged and 27 criminals criminal charges were laid down in connection with impaired driving incidents. So far this year, they say they've charged 1,400 people for impaired driving-related offenses in that region, and five people have died in collisions where impaired driving was a contributing factor. Now, the York Regional Police said that the new naming policy is not officially in effect yet. However, all of those charged over this past weekend have already been identified online. Names are expected to be released every on their website every Monday. The goal of their move, according to police, is to further make it socially unacceptable 
to drink and drive. Now, some other Ontario uh, municipalities have already enacted similar policies. Will it be a deterrent? In my opinion, I don't think so. No, sir, I don't think so. I doubt that anybody who is going to go drink and drive is more concerned that his or her picture is going to be on the Internet on a police website than what the fines and the criminal charges are involved when you get a DUI. I doubt any friend of anybody who's drinking is going to say to their buzzy buddy, you know, I, I don't I don't think you should really go drinking and driving right now. I know, I know you're a little bit tipsy. I think I think you probably shouldn't go driving because um, if you get caught, you, your face is going to be on the York um, police uh, website. Okay. I see your point. At, at the same time, they're uh, grabbing their phone, clicking a selfie, and going, post it on Instagram. I, all I'm, all I'm going to say is I see your point. Let me raise you this. If that same police department posted the picture on Facebook and then shared it, not just with the person, like tagged the person in it who got the DUI, but also tagged their employer to make sure that the employer saw the mugshot of their employee who got the DUI, and also tagged, let's say, their significant other their parents, all sorts of people. If you knew that everybody was going to find out about it, it only takes three or four people getting fired over something like this to actually make some sort of an impact. Now, obviously in our job, my profession especially, people who are on-air people, I've seen reporters, anchors, I I, want to say there has been a traffic person that has gotten a DUI, but I, I can't confirm nor deny that. Um. But usually these people get fired. If you're an on-air person on TV and you get a DUI, you're fired. That's gotten more common recently. Uh, that when, I, when I first got into the business, I would have said it was probably about 50-50. And, and sadly, it just depended on how much now, money you, you were making for the company. If you got a DUI while you're working for this company, do you think you would necessarily be fired? Not necessarily, but I don't have driving privileges here. But no, let's say you All right, let's say it was anybody else in the newsroom. Anybody that's not in a management, just any of the producers, maybe somebody on the uh, assignment desk, anybody that was just a, one of the engineers was uh, driving drunk, got a, got a, got arrested. I, I mean, it, it, you got to take it on a case-by-case basis. How egregious was it? Was anybody injured? What was the BAC? Does it, is it a sign of ongoing behavior? Is this a blip on the radar? Have they done this multiple times? There's a lot of factors that go into that decision. But there I wouldn't would be say- if, I, if I got a DUI at a, at, at a .08 or a .8. Um, or any kind of a DUI, any kind of a cra- anything, I would be fired. Yes, generally speaking, I would say anybody on air at this station who got a DUI probably would not have a job. Any of them across the board. I don't think I don't think any. But of them I would think my, my point is, I don't think that every employer, going back to your point, would fire somebody for ne- for getting a DUI or knowing that they got a DUI. I mean, look how many pot shops are here. They could get could could somebody who works for one of these uh, dispensaries get a. Uh, driving while high ticket and then go to work and and uh, obviously they're do you think they're going to get fired? I do actually think that impairs your bud tender's license, but don't quote me on that. We should probably look that one up if you can drive while high, get arrested for it, and maintain the ability to work in a pot shop because that's an interesting question that I'd never thought of before. It probably depends on how much you make, right? Like if you work in a restaurant industry, they almost expect you to get a DUI. Those, those folks are driving drunk all the time. So, yeah, if I'm just a waiter, they're probably not going to fire me over it. But if, I'm a, uh, if I have a public-facing role or if I have a high-level role at one of these tech companies that's making up the downtown more frequently and I get popped for a DUI and it's embarrassing and it's an ugly mugshot and I was a .15 and I crashed my vehicle and there are gruesome crash po- photos, yeah, I probably shouldn't survive that. 
So there, I, I've seen stories about politicians. I remember one guy here in the Colorado State Legislature who got a DUI. I, I he he definitely kept his his job there for until he was publicly shamed until he he was out. But I would think that most of the people who have, as you say, higher profile jobs, higher profile positions, a CEO, a high level manager, a public profile person, they are probably smart enough, for the most part, not to go out and drink and drive. They, I don't think, are the people that are really getting popped for DUIs for the most part. I think it's lower end people, construction people that have usually construction jobs, bartender jobs, um, blue collar jobs, you could say, more more of that. And I I still don't think that most of those people are going to lose their jobs if they get busted with a DUI, even if you're maybe if you're working for UPS as a driver, yeah, you'll probably lose your job. Yep. But if you're a mechanic over at UPS, and you get a DUI, are you going to lose your job? It's a fair question. I mean, we just saw this Aurora City Councilwoman who came forward admitting that she got popped for driving while ability impaired, and there was, like, almost no outcry. Like, no, nobody even seemed to care that she got hit with one of these things. So maybe it doesn't matter so much if you're a public figure. And I don't think that it should be a disqualifier for you either. I, I want to make that really clear. Like, you should be able to keep a job just because you made a significant mistake at one point. The point that I'm trying to make is that, like, we're in an always-on society now. Like, I can, I can get a hold of you 24-7, pretty much. Yep. Even though you don't want me to, I can. And I can get information out about you 24-7, too, and I can look up that information as well. And that's true of everybody. And so, uh, you know, you really do have to be more cognizant of that, and you got to be on your best behavior more of the time. And I think people are starting to realize that, and this is just one more re- reason why. But if you think that the Denver Police Department, let's say they started doing a si- similar uh, program where they are now posting pictures of people who got uh, arrested for a DUI, let's say, and now this, this uh, original story is from Canada, they don't have quite the same... Uh, First Amendment laws that we have here in the United States, once you're convicted, let's say once you're convicted of a DUI, you're you're getting posted your face, and then let's say they they release it out there to your employer. Uh, Do you think that's still going to stop the average drunk guy from going out and drinking and driving? No, it's not going to stop the drunks. You're trying to stop the people on the fringe, right? Not the 90% of hardcore drinkers that make up all the alcohol sales, but the 10% who are casual drinkers who could be stopped from making a really bad mistake, right? And honestly, if there was a Facebook page out there called Denver Drunk Drivers and it was just the police department putting up mugshots of everybody who got popped for DUI in this city, you get 20,000 followers easy. Like, people would pay attention to that. Well, that'd be an interesting case study, wouldn't it? Mm-hmm. Well, I guess maybe we can follow that and see how it goes. Like, you know, I... I... I don't know. I, I don't drink and drive. Well, because it's a bad idea. It's like, a bad let's idea. Let's call it what it is. It's yes. a bad idea. Uh, but my, my role, my job actually has a lot to do with that, too, because it, it is such a critical role for, for how my family survives um, and how I survive. Uh, and obviously, it's a dumb thing to do. Mm-hmm. I've done it in the past. I'm not proud of doing it. I've never been caught for doing it. But I have. I know I've driven when I probably shouldn't have. Right. Um, I've been on the radio when I probably should have. I was closing out a bar one time. This is forever ago, back in the radio days. And I get a call at 1.30 in the morning. Nobody else is available to be on the radio except for apparently me because I'm one, the only one either in town and awake uh, and up. And I could, and I wasn't too far away, and I could show up, and, and I said, "Well, I, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of buzzed, and I, I've been drinking." And they go, "We don't care. We just need somebody here." I'm like, okay, why not? It's probably a better show. Let's be honest. So there you go. <clears throat> little match game action. There you have it. Uh, I, at this time of year, parking can be quite tough at the mall, right? 
you you might circle and circle and so and I mean you you don't haven't done no, that you don't have worried about but that. But it's not though. I mean like every mall in this city, it's fairly easy to find a parking spot even on the busiest days. No way. I'm dead. Have serious. you been down to Park Meadows? I was just at Park Meadows on Sunday. Easy to find a space. Easy enough. Really? Did, didn't take that long. All right. Well, some people have a hard time. I guess. <laughs> I guess you don't. Well, anyway, there are are times where you might want. To not, let's say, drive around for a while to go get a parking space. You might want a parking space that's already set up waiting for you when you get there. Mm. Wouldn't that be nice and convenient? It would. Right? Because there are people who are really desperate enough for a parking space that might pull, let's say, they, they, they call it the Los Angeles Classic. You get a friend to stand in the sweet parking spot you just saw until you can circle around back to it and then prevent anybody else from getting into that sweet parking space. Right? Well, many shopping centers in Florida, apparently, where they have a harder time to park than we do here, uh, there are these robots that will save a space for you. There's a system called My Park, Miami-based parking reservation service. They have these special little mobile space blockers that hold spots for customers willing to pay a few extra dollars for this convenience. Now, you use a smartphone app, and you use that to reserve the space, and then there's this robot and what it does is basically looks like a huge cardboard box that's that takes up about a third of the space. And it's real real thin, low profile to the ground, rectangular in shape. And what it has is this bar, this arm bar. So imagine if you have your arm down and you just raised your arm straight up. And it has this sign that says this parking space is reserved. And it stays up like that so you can't pull your car in without wrecking this thing or, or damaging your car. Until you have the app and you, and you pay for it, and then this, this arm comes down, and then you drive over top of it, and therefore it opens up the space for you. That is brilliant. Brilliant. Isn't it, though? So this, the, the, this service is available at a bunch of different shopping malls in Miami. There's actually a couple of them around the country. And this company was created by a guy who was frustrated with not being able to use his assigned parking space in a garage at his company where he's supposed to park all the time. Because his office was right next to a bank. The customers used to help themselves to his space all the time for just running in quick and coming into the bank. Well, there was an on-site security guard there, but people would still pull in and use the space. So he got really mad. And so the necessity is the mother of invention. So he came up with this idea to keep people out of his parking space was either to have a parking guard stand there or to have this robot thing stand there in its place to keep people out of his space. That's how they launched this My Park Company. Now, they designed these pop-up rectangular things to be just big enough to keep people from driving in, but it's small enough to, to fold back and flatten itself so, so when you rent the space, you can drive right over it. Now, on average, the service costs in most places about $3 to reserve the spot and that includes the first two hours. And then it's about three bucks for each additional hour on top of that. There you have it. Charge more. You could charge so much more for prime parking. I would put the prime parking ahead of the wheelchair spaces. I'll be honest with you. Have the, have the VIP section and then wheelchairs and then everybody else. You can't have the wheelchairs back behind the VIP section. This is the 21st century, man. Yeah, that's why I say you can't put the wheelchair. <laughs> but you could have a whole section instead of the valet section. Maybe you have then the uh, you have the saved VIP section, 
And then you have the regular, the B, oh, as, as we like to call them, the B-flatters. Legit. What I will say, and forgive me for this, man, because I never thought I would reach this point in my life, uh, valet parking is worth it at the mall. Completely worth it at the mall. <laughs> I used to valet park. I, I mean, I used to be a valet right. parker. Yeah, I mean, it's a good job. Yeah, it's a great job. But, uh, yeah, no, valet parking, totally worth it. I, I wish we had valet parked at Park Meadows, even though it was easy enough to find parking. If I could just pay somebody to do it for me, done. Boom, boom, wash my hands, I'm good to go. Now, there are places downtown, I know, that they charge you, what is it, five, six, eight bucks, whatever it is, for the valet parking. And then you have to probably tip the guy a couple bucks, right? Yeah, but if parking... So ten bucks? Yeah, that's what I'm saying, but parking's $10 an hour anyway for most of downtown. So, sure, let me just pay the Now, what if it costs it? you five bucks to park down at the mall? Are you going to do park that? Park Meadows? Yeah. Right on now, to- it's free. On top of the valet parking? Yeah. So, so what, $7 valet charge plus like a $2 tip plus the $5 to park, so 14 total? So how much are you willing to pay to have valet parking or to have robot parking? About $14, I would say. <laughs> that sounds like the right <laughs> price. <laughs> the convenience factor for you right there? Well, Everybody I mean, has a price. But we were just talking about this with the airport, right? Because airport parking is stupidly expensive. Oh, you yeah. pay $20 a night. So if you're gone for a week, that's $140 for the whole trip. And our boss, our big boss, Holly Kant, said the other day, she's like, I don't understand why people don't just live to the airport. Like, just... There's no reason not to take a lift to and from the airport anymore. Well, she is uh, she she's married, right? So yep. she has uh, her partner, uh, but I don't think she has any kids. So it's a lot easier for her just as a single person traveler Dude. to go, right? It's a lot harder when you have a family of four with your bags to try to get in somebody's car and then get driven out to the airport for sixty bucks, right? She lives right downtown here. I still would say it's worth it to take the lift versus paying for parking. Well, if I was a single traveler, sure. No, even with the family of four, man, get the van. Get the van. We rented a van to go to the Emmys this year, and it was a great time. We were all wasted. That might have made it a little bit more fun, but (laughs) there were seven of us in a lift van. Very comfortable. Surprisingly comfortable. I don't know. We're going to get dropped off, actually, for our trip coming up in January by my in-laws. There you go. They have offered to take us out there and pick us up when we're done. Uh, so that's that's a nice convenience because uh, it was going to cost me $75 to park out there near that's the airport. That's what I'm saying, man. That's just not – it's just not And that's money I need to put Senorita Whiskers into uh, to, to board her for the, for the time we're gone. Senorita Whiskers. She has her Instagram page, by the way. Seventy-five followers now for Senorita Whiskers. Is she is she is she past Denver Seven traffic yet? Uh, no, not yet. I have like eighteen hundred on my Instagram page. Give it time. Uh, but no, I, the Senorita Whiskers will definitely be up there. Uh, but we don't like boarding her. But we have to. What I, else are we gonna I, do with her? I have a lot of questions, but I don't want to ask any of them during the program. So I'll get those <laughs> <to you> off. <laughs> okay. Speaking of that, we're out of time for the program uh, this week. Thanks again for always uh, checking in. We had a uh, somebody else that wrote us a nice email about uh, listening to the program, liking the program, listening every week. So we appreciate all the listeners, the loyal listeners here to the old Driving Your Crazy podcast. So until next time, thanks for listening. I'm Jason Luber, the Traffic Guy. I'm the Surface Street Menace, Joseph Peters. Be safe, and as always, happy motoring.